our deepest fears that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Welcome to our festive power cut series where the Inside Influence team and I take a six week pause over Christmas to reset, read, recalibrate and generally refill our creative tanks. Oh, and, you know, probably eat a few mince pies while we're at it. To keep you fueled while we're gone, we have traveled back through the archives and pulled out six of our all time favorite Inside Influence episodes from over the past year. Then cut those down again into six core moments that I can say hand on heart radically changed how I showed up, led and influenced over the past 12 months. If you're new to the Inside Influence community, enjoy the ride. If you are a long-time listener, these moments are 100% worth a refresh. Today's power cut is with the incredible Leslie M. Leslie is a former TV host and advertising creative director turned training guru. Having spent decades traveling the globe with her award-winning company, Combustion, working with executives and teams from top organizations like Google, Disney, PepsiCo, Uber, and more. Seriously, the list may as well be the entire Fortune 500. She has turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers, and has brought a serious dose of badassery to boardrooms everywhere. Her latest book, Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want, is a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon number one bestseller. To quote her website, she's been called better than therapy, a rock star, ass kicking, a force of nature, and even a witch. So, you know, basically my kind of woman. In this part of our conversation, we jump into the three drivers of swagger. Number one, speak your truth, but first reframe it. Number two, state your intention. And number three, embody self-belief. Plus, why developing swagger is the opposite of faking it until you make it. Rather, it's a form of owning it, of owning the space that you walk on that literally repels imposter syndrome. If you enjoy this Power Cut episode and want to hear my full conversation with Leslie, check out episode 131 on either my website, juliemasters.com or any of your usual podcast hangouts. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy the Power Cut of my conversation with the unbreakable Leslie M. Let's talk about swagger. I'm going to talk about swagger. So, so talk to me, what is, let's start at the very beginnings of the basics. Like what is swagger in your words? Well, when they, a lot of people hear the word, they assume it means that arrogant show off peacock in your face, you know, kind of jam. And that is not my definition of swagger. I have redefined the word as the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to that in the face of all of the psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of the situation or environment. So it means you have one truth, one face, one heart, and you show up with that no matter the challenges around you, no matter the situation and no matter who you're with. And that's different. I love the language you use there, you know, one truth, one face, one heart. Like 
that's very different to fake it until you make it, right? Oh, like that's, a, that's a world away from fake it until you make it. No, I am so anti-fake it till you make it. I think it's the worst advice that you can give. I think it's the worst advice that you can take. There are so many downsides of fake it till you make it that people don't think through. They're so busy trying to come across as something that they sacrifice so many more important things in the process. Because here's the logic of it. It's very logical. The thing that you're trying to fake is confidence. Am I right? You're trying to fake confidence. You're trying to convince other people you got it all going on. You know it. You're on top of it. You're the master or mistress of your domain. You are a badass. Meanwhile, you can't fake confidence because confidence solely requires competence. Only by doing something over and over and over again and proving to your highly resistant brain that you do know what you're talking about because you've done it a whole bunch of times and you can be thrown into a variety of, of situations and you will not sink, you will swim. Only then do you experience that thing called confidence. So if you, if you want to open yourself wide to the imposter syndrome, go for, go, all, go for it. Fake it till you make it all day long. And the, the, the second problem is that when we walk around telling everybody, oh no, I'm on it. I got it. I'm, I'm there. I'm at this level. It's all happening. It's all good. I'm the, I'm the queen. What you do is you actively limit your ability to improve because now you can't ask for help because you're running around like a dummy telling everyone that you're, you're all over it. You got it. And if you start asking people for help, you're going to be outed as a liar. So now you're scrambling. Now you're in panic mode. When, whenever you're out of your depth, you've got nowhere to turn. Whereas if you were wise, you would look to all of the people around you who you think have more experience, who have more wisdom, who have more expertise, and you go and you sit at their feet and you say, oh, great, lovely human. I think you're fantastic. I think you kick ass. I think you have all of these skills. I'm so impressed by you. Do you think maybe I could sit at your feet just a little bit? and learn from you. And I would really love that. And I would pay it forward and I would be so appreciative. And if they say yes, and they do help you and support you, you then turn around to everybody who will listen and you tell them how you got better, how you got wiser and how you got smarter as a result of this amazing person's help and support and influence and time. Because now you've A, validated your growth, and B, you've name checked the person who helped you. So you're going to have people queuing up around the block to be next in line for that honor of helping and supporting you, right? The, the thing is that we have, we have somehow developed shame around where we are in our journey. It is so brutal. Like it's as if everybody who is 10 years into a career, let's say, or 10 years into their, their experience has forgotten what it felt like when they were two years in. And that, that sensation of floundering and seeking and, and feeling insecure and all of those things. And they think, well, I went through it, so you should go through it too. No, that's extra cruel because you know what it felt like. And to say that it made you who you are is bullshit, right? We do not have to suffer for growth. We need to commit. We need to be all in. We need to put in the effort. Sure. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to feel crappy about ourselves. We don't have to be riddled with insecurity. You know, we can just say, look, I am here right now in my journey. 
two years ago, I was there. And five years from now, I'm going to be there. Yay me. You know, and own it and say, I love being where I am today. Here's what I'm aspiring to. Here's what I'm trying to learn. But I'm not, I don't have it yet. I'm working on it all in, you know? And that, that feels like the, the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Like yeah. that to imposter syndrome is what if someone finds me out? What if someone finds out that I don't know everything? I don't have all the answers. There, there's elements of uncertainty and confusion in my life and in my head. But this is the opposite. This is yeah. owning exactly where you are. You eradicate the imposter syndrome. You take all of the power out of it. It has no power anymore. It's like, it's like you know, the Wizard of Oz. You watched the Wizard of Oz growing up. You know, when, um, when uh, the house has been dropped on the Wicked Witch of the East and Dorothy and Glinda are together and then the Wicked Witch comes in and she's just fuming and really, who killed my sister? You know, I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. And Glinda looks at her and she says, you have no power here. Be gone before someone drops a house on you. That's what you do to the imposter syndrome when you embrace where you are in your journey. It has no power anymore because you go, yeah, you're right. No, this is exactly where I am in my journey. No, no, no. I'm not an expert yet. Absolutely not. Don't claim to be not anything. But here's what I know though. Here's what I'm badass at. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I hope to be, but this is where I am right now. So what, 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 you know, and then the bullies, you know, the critics just go, uh, Okay. I don't know what to do now, right? It's beautiful. It's very hard to to bully somebody who fully owns fully owns <laughs> yes. their space. It's almost yeah. it's, it's practically impossible. There's yeah. literally there's just no resistance. In That's order right. to bully, you need to push up against something, and if that something shows you no resistance, yep, there's no satisfaction, and that is not even a game. Yep. Or you don't cower from it. You know, you don't you don't pull away. You just stand in your place of truth. It's a beautiful thing. You know, that's how you, you, I have a whole chapter in my book about dealing with haters because haters going to come, you know, when you have swagger, swagger is like, like cookies for cockroaches, you know, they are going to come scurrying out because when you're in your place of power, oh, they don't like you. They don't like you. They're like, oh, how do I get some of that? You know, that it's, it's like your power buffet is now laden. It's like the best Chinese food buffet you've ever seen on the planet. It's got the little egg rolls. It's got the little sparrows. It's got the little, there's little sushis there for bonus. It's delicious. And everybody's like, oh, she got so much power. Can I just have a little egg roll or a little sushi or a little something? And you go, ah, 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 ah. And you pull down those metal shutters and you go, no, no, no. The power buffet is closed, my friend. You don't get to come snacking. I know I'm delicious and all that. No, I got a lot of sustenance. But no, no, no. Either I invite you and I choose to share my power with you but you can't take it. No one can take your power unless you choose to give it to them. So you just don't do it. You choose. Mm. <laughs> so many questions. So many go, questions. Go, 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 go. First thing, what I love about what you just said is that I've had this theory for a long time that the question that we fear the most, the question that keeps us more small than any other question on the planet, which is, who do you think you are? The fear of that question, being asked that question, asking ourselves that question in our own head when we step out. And the only way to stop fearing the question is to answer it. Mm -hmm. But I've never really had a layer on a process of how to answer it, which is exactly what you just gave, mm -hmm. which is owning exactly where you are right now. This yeah. is where I'm at. This is what I'm working on. And this is where I'm going. We are, we are not our history. We are the stories we tell ourselves. 
you know? So it doesn't matter. We, we all have gone through, look at, you ask any, you ask any little kid, I'm sure with your kids, when I asked my kids, when they were little, you know, they would go, I am awesome. I'm amazing. I could do anything. I'm going to be, you know, an astronaut. I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to, you know, solve world hunger. I'm going to be the president of the United States. Leslie, you're Canadian, stand down, whatever, you know? Um, and, and then life has a way of coming. And it can be, it starts with the people who love us the most, our parents, our family. And as a result of their own pain, their own damage, their own experience, their own messaging, they may inadvertently say things to us that are in, in, um, in conflict with what we believe about ourselves. Because as individuals, we can believe anything we want. We don't have to be formed in the eyes of other people. That's about the other people. We have to be formed in, the, in our own eyes. And yes, some of that will be reflected in the people around us. But, but unfortunately, you know, we're not careful about how we do that with children. You know, we just, we don't think about it. And so they, you know, they pick up this idea of, of who they are in the context of others. And then their swagger starts to get, you know, get, get eaten away. And then they go to school. And school will tell them that different is not good. Assimilation is good. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. There's a way to be, behave yourself. And if you are difficult, you will be ostracized from the collective, from the tribe. You will be sat here. You will be taken there. You won't be able to be in this class, whatever. That's when assimilation is bred into us. Then we get we get into relationships. And we go, we learn that, that we want to be loved so badly that we'll do anything to, to get it. We'll sublimate our own needs. We'll sublimate our desires. We'll give ourselves over to other people, all that kind of stuff, which again, notches away at that thing called swagger. And then we go to work and all it takes is a few bad bosses and a few bad situations. And we start to believe that, that we don't have as much power or as much merit or as much, you know, potential as we might've believed about ourselves. And we wake up one day and we go, what happened? Who am I? Like, how did it get like this? And, and you know, and, and it's what, what's happened is that you've lost connection with that person that you came into the world as. Because that's who you are. That's who you are. You are, when you, when you were five, you're pretty much the same now, except you've learned a whole bunch of skills. But your spirit is the same. Your energy is the same, you know? When you hear your parents say, oh, I remember what Julie was like when she was five, she wouldn't, and she never, and she didn't. And you laugh and you go, I'm still the same today. You know, whereas if you had a sibling who was totally different, you know, my sibling, you know, sibling was, she was much more of a rule follower. She behaved herself. She, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Still like that. Me kicking and screaming, still kicking and screaming. Still doing everything too early, too soon, too fast, all of those things, right? So we, what happens is over time, we, we really forget how to see ourselves clearly. And we can only see ourselves through the lens of other people. And we forget that that lens is completely biased. It's about their damage, their issues, their experiences their needs, their hierarchies, all of those things, right? It's the equivalent of going into the airport, going over to the baggage carousel, picking up somebody's random suitcase off the, the baggage carousel, taking it home, unpacking it, and putting their dirty underwear on your head. It's wearing other people's baggage. It's not a good look. 
not to mention not hygienic. It's not a good look. And we don't need to do it. We say, okay, that's, that's how you feel. That's what you want. That's what you need. This is what I feel. This is what I want, you know, and, and I won't change it to make you happy, but I sure as hell will work to try and figure out how it can be good for you too. When you first start working with somebody, I'll just unpack this a little bit. When you first start working with somebody, how do they usually voice the space that they're in? Because I'm guessing they don't usually walk into the room and say, I just feel like I need some more swagger here. Like what, how, what's the language they tend to use to voice where they're at? Well, I think, I think we're so terrified of, of not being accepted in, in, you know, in the tribe, in the collective that we don't voice it initially. You know, we don't tend to come into the room with swagger. We go, Ooh, probably should keep my head down. Probably should feel, you know, feel the vibe a little bit, you know, spend a few weeks, months figuring everyone out before I make any moves, you know, all the rest of it. And by that time, it's usually too late because now you're afraid because you're, you're so caught up in the dynamics and the, you understand the stakes and so on. I, I find that um, for me, it's about creating meaningful connection with individuals. So you don't need to make, take a stand at a meeting as your first act. Go have coffee with people. Go talk about your real life. Go talk, tell them what kind of person you are. Tell them what you're like. I'm someone who if you do this and that happens and you I got your back and you can count on me for that, I'm not very good at this. So I may come to you for that. Are you cool? Are you really good at that? Like, how could we share our skills? What could you rely on me for? What could I rely on you for? You know, I'm someone who's hundred like, tell them, tell them, and then be that. Like if it's, if it's authentic, just go, just be that. And then they will love you for it. They go, Oh my God, I, what I love about Julie is what you see is what you get. There's no artifice. There's no bullshit. You know where you are, stand at all times because she'll tell you and she'll do it with compassion and respect. You know, like, oh, I don't know if I liked how that meeting went. I think my feelings got a little hurt. I mean, I know it was no one's intention, but I ended up feeling a little, a little hurt. Can we talk about that for two minutes? There's something in what you just said then, which is the, the ability to be able to speak your truth about something, own it, speak it but do so in a respectful and a compassionate way that isn't just some kind of emotional vomit yeah, on top oh of no. everybody else. And, and I think that we get caught in that a lot, that dance between authentic and intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we want authenticity, but there's got to be some intention. Yeah, well, intent, I mean, there's three, three um, drivers of swagger and they have to work in concert. You can't just have one without the other. The first one is truth. The ability to speak your truth, because that's all we have in this world. That's 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 the expectation that we set for our actions to then follow, right? That that's it. I this is what I believe. This is what I need. This is what I I feel. All that kind of stuff. And then your intention, then your sorry, your actions can support that. So you're aligned, because authenticity is when what you think and feel aligns with what you say and do, right? That's really what 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 is authenticity for good or for bad, right? Um, so. Speaking your truth is not just running around with your hair on fire, like you said, like barfing and all the, yeah, I must speak my truth. You all must hear me. And that's it. That's so important. Whatever people just throw water on you. They're like, I don't want to hear it. I got no time for it. No, I don't care if you're on fire. It's not my problem. Right. So um, the first thing is you've got to think about the, the reframing your truth because people inherently care about themselves most. Even the most compassionate people in the world, if two of you were on fire, they'd put themselves out first, you know? So we have to think about how can I reframe this truth 
not diminish it, not change it, not sublimate it, but how do I reframe it so that it's not just good for me, it's good for the other, the collective, and the greater good? How can I position that? Because if it's not really good for that for that series of, of, of people, then I might want to rethink it. I might go, wait, that's really selfish. Like, this is not about anybody other than me. Oh, no one's going to have time for that. You're right. No one's going to have time for that. So let it go. Let it go. That's got, that doesn't need to be said. You can, you can worry about that yourself, but that doesn't need to be said to other people, right? Now, you also have to get strategic when you speak your truth because you want your truth to land. That is the purpose. We don't want to just barf our truth into the wind. We want our truth to be heard. So we can't just sort of, you know, hold people to task and say, you have to care about and listen to my truth. No, I don't. Nobody does, right? So we have to get smart about how we do it. We have to think about uh, when we speak it is now the best time. Where we speak it in this, in this situation right now, is this like, should I maybe wait until after this drama trauma is over? And then circle around and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, lest I out someone or hurt someone or throw somebody, uh, uh, you know, under the bus because that is not what I what I'm trying to do here. Um, and it could be to whom. Find the person who will benefit from the truth, from hearing the truth, and will recognize the benefit to the collective and to the, the greater good. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to your point, smarty girl, intention. That's your second driver. It's the why. Why are you doing it? If it's just for you, it's not going to fly. If it's to make yourself look bigger and make someone else look smaller, it's not going to fly. If it's to take control of something and take control away from somebody else, not going to fly. You know, all of those things, all of those self-serving things. If, if it's about, you know, because um, um, you're pissed and you want to take your anger out, you want revenge, it's not going to go well. And you probably, if you look back across your life, you'll notice how that never goes really well, right? So you have to know why. And once you identify why, the smartest thing you can do is just tell other people what your intention is. Just tell them. My intention here is to um, share some insights that I believe are going to help change the direction of this project. And I know that it might feel a little bit a little bit, you know, ah, a little edgy because I'm going to, I'm going to challenge some stuff, but my really, please understand my intention is to help us not, get, you know, get, continue to spin. Okay. And then you don't just go, you're an idiot. <laughs> you go, here's what I, here's what I've noticed, or here's what I recognize. And here's the ways that I think we could, we could solve those problems. And you know what, if you're not, if people don't love you for it, that's okay. Because the third part is self-belief. You have to believe that you have the stuff to say it and that you deserve to say it. There's so much power in, in intention, in stating your intent. Intention just has this ability to cut the conspiracy theories, cut the story. Mm -hmm. If I have a story about you, if I have a story about why you're sharing this, if I have a story about our past experiences, there's something about somebody very clearly and genuinely stating their intent that just cuts the story. Mm-hmm. And it somehow provides like a clean slate for this conversation. Yeah. It's like, you know, when, when someone, you know, when someone's rude to us in the grocery store or whatever, and then, you know, we're pissed off and because they've been rude to us, whatever, 
But then we go outside and we see them helping their elderly parent out of the, the car or helping their elderly parent, you know, out of the wheelchair into the car. And you go, oh, that person was having a hard time. Of course, that person was frustrated and edgy and whatever. You know what I mean? And you go, oh, why don't we just assume that everybody's got stuff going on, right? Just assume that I, I've, I've met surprisingly few truly shitty humans in my life. Like truly, intentionally shitty humans. I think that they're a rarity. They, they exist for sure. But I think we, we, um, we assume that so many more people are shitty than, than they really are. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea, or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea, or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.